When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, what's up, everyone? Chris Clark here, GamecockCentral.com. You are tuned in to GC Live, and don't worry, for those of you who are huge Wes Mitchell stands and fans, whatever term you want to use, He'll be here shortly, momentarily. Wes helping out today, helping out Colin Taylor and the Gamecock Central team at media availability as offensive coordinator Marcus Satterfield spoke and defensive coordinator Clayton White also spoke to the media today. So uh, a few things to take away from there. We will certainly ask Wes. Uh, I caught up on some of that stuff. He was there. Uh, he, he'll have, I'm sure, some takeaways. You may have some takeaways from the notes that you saw on GamecockCentral.com. You may have some thoughts, some takeaways, some questions in terms of what's going on with recruiting. You may have questions as far as who's going to be in town. What does this weekend mean? There are plenty of things going on, no shortage. We're, of course, here on Wednesday in advance of the Kentucky game, giant game, as we have documented for the South Carolina Gamecocks, who sit at 2-1 and one with a chance to go to 3-1 and one heading into the Troy game. Also a chance to be 2-2 two and two heading into the Troy game. So obviously a very big weekend. What's up, everybody? Rob, Greg, Frederick, Daniel, J-Rock Media, Anthony Bell, Paul, Travis, Charles, Jamie Henson, and Erlen Humes. Hey, hope I got all of you uh, the shout-outs that you deserve. Tons of you on YouTube. Check out Gamecock Central. On YouTube, youtube.com slash Gamecock Central. Make sure you subscribe, hit the notifications button every time we go live with GC Live. If we're a little delayed, if you're not sure what day we are, Monday through Friday, of course, at 2 p.m. on Tuesdays, normally about 2.30 because of Shane Beamer's press conference. But hope everybody's going well. I forgot Kyle. What's up, Kyle? I don't think you said anything earlier, but if you did and I missed it, apologies. I'm sure I missed a bunch of you, several of you on here already. And hopefully, uh, Continue to continue to grow the show here as time goes on. Like I said, I'm Chris Clark. Wes will be joining me soon. First of all, before we dive into everything that's going on today, everything that's going to be going on this weekend, tell you about Clint Hammond real quick. He is our primary presenting sponsor and has been for quite some time and will be for some time into the future. Here on GC Live, Clint is the branch manager, of course, of the Columbia Mortgage Network, ClintHammond.com. You can call him at 803-771-6933. His NMLS number is 71597. Now, maybe you have questions about the mortgage process. Maybe you're a first-time home buyer. If you are, I've been there. It's a lot. There's a lot to take in. Maybe you want to refinance. That's also a lot. Might have lots of questions about that process. What does it look like? Should I refinance? Can I refinance? Hit up Clint with all of your questions, whether you bought zero homes, 100 homes, you want to refinance, anything you have related to the world of mortgaging, hit up Clint. He's a huge Gamecock fan, supporter of the show, and he's outstanding, obviously, at what he does. So, again, hope everybody's doing well today. If you got any questions, guys and girls, throw them in the chat. Uh, we will try to get to those. Uh, lots of Kentucky talk, I'm sure, that's going to be happening today. We have pretty much close the book on Georgia. That There may be a few residual things because there are some residual things that came up in the sense that there are things that South Carolina has to correct, right, going into the Kentucky game. So Marcus Satterfield and Clayton White, for instance, they're speaking on a Wednesday. Kind of an interesting day as far as a hinge point because it's several days removed from whatever South Carolina's last day is, last game is rather. But it's also a few days in advance and well into game prep and practice week for the next opponent. So they've been able to go back and look at all that stuff. They have internally turned the page, but they're able to kind of give good insight into what went, what went right and wrong in the previous game, what needs to get better 
uh, for the next contest. So, look, Marcus Satterfield, to, to jump into that, he got into some stuff with the offense, um, you know, from Saturday. One of the things that I thought was interesting, he mentioned that Juju McDowell was, you know, he said that it was a failure on his part that he didn't get him more involved. Another interesting thing with the running back saying that they might be in a position where they want to give one guy the ball and then use a back to spell him. Thought that was interesting. And also even more interesting because Kevin Harris, as we documented, played uh, the most snaps of any running back all year against Georgia. He started, got his first start of the year, played 41 snaps, which is the most snaps of any running back. So we'll see where things go from there. He uh, he talked about communication, which obviously Wes and I have been talking all week on the show since the Georgia game about how that was an area that was absolutely critical for the Gamecocks to fix the communication. So he talked about that some. And then, like I said, Clayton White speaking about the defense a little bit. Uh, Ricardo Pinckney with a good question here. As I bring in, let me, Wes, you ready to come on? Wes is good. What's going on, Wes? Hope you're doing well. Should uh, should we do the uh, the swap real quick? I was going to ask you. Let's swap it because it's it's already weird. It's gotten weird since. Yeah, it, it, it is. It is. It is. Yeah. There so, it is. Okay. There, there, now cool. all is right in the world. You're here. You're on the it's left. Like throw with your left hand. It's like not. I don't know. Not it's good. not natural. But I, I want to get your some press conference takeaways since you were there. Uh, but Ricardo had a good question here. Uh, from YouTube, thanks for the question, Ricardo. Thanks for listening. He said, hey, Chris, what's the scholarship count left we have without the impending seven-plus scholarships probably get approved in a few months by the NCAA? So if you don't know what Ricardo is referring to, there's a there's a new rule where teams can get extra scholarships, not towards the 85 overall scholarship limit, but towards the 25 initial scholarship counters you get every year. There's a caveat to that, and so that caveat makes it tough right now for us to answer that question, Ricardo, because uh, right, you know, it depends on transfers. So we don't know, for instance, in December, how many people may transfer from the South Carolina program. Will there be some? I mean, probably. Odds are, especially in this era, whether it's playing time or whatever it may be, you know, there'll probably be some transfers. How many? Hard to answer, right? So. Uh, you can basically replace some that you lose from transfers, from defections, and you can go and then replace that in your recruiting class. You can use a spot scholarship for the transfer portal, an extra high school kid, whatever it may be at that point. So it's going to be interesting to see how that plays out, but it's it's still too early you know, to know exactly how this rule is going to affect South Carolina. Um, but we just don't know yet. So. It, it will definitely be interesting, but that's something we'll have to kind of dive into, as that's going to be you know a moving target throughout us. Well, do we do we know when the transfers will start counting? Like, have they said as far as like, let's say you have five transfers, like when do those transfers count towards your new limit? You, you know what I mean? Like, is it because I mean we we've already you know. Jordan Rhodes, for example, um, he's transferred out. He's transferred to Ole Miss. Does that mean we already know that South Carolina gets at least one? Karan Prunty, um, you know, that that scholarship was going to be pushed forward anyway, and they sort of got it back, so to speak, for their current 25. But does he still – you know what I'm saying? Does he still count in giving them an additional one or, or not? So I, I think – I would think – no for Karan Prunty, but that that'll as far as the intricacies of this thing, um, first of all, I guess it's not officially approved yet, uh, but these things generally everybody's expecting it to get a, approved, but there's been some different iterations of what this may look look like because I think everybody, for the most part, Chris seems to agree that the numbers just are, you know, the old saying the numbers always work out. The numbers are not going to work out if you don't give programs some ability to replenish their scholarship numbers. Yeah, it, it is tough. And by the way, uh, NCAA expected to take that up next month for discussion. There's a meeting of the NCAA Council October 5th and 6th. But Wes, I, I don't know the answer to that follow-up question as to, you know, when do they start counting? 
Um, I saw something about December at some point being kind of an important hinge point, but I don't know when that will be, you know, in terms of when exactly do they start counting? When are they counting? But, uh, you know, we've, we've seen because of last year, the NCAA basically giving out a free COVID year, the response from a lot of coaches was, okay, well, what's the NCAA going to do to kind of remedy that? And what we saw was, you know, that extra year of eligibility, but teams had, that had super seniors, meaning guys that were seniors last year that could then come back. Nick Muse is an example of a player like that. You know, they do not count towards that 85 scholarship limit this year. Now with the transfer portal, as you said, Wes, really tough to manage those things for coaches. I mean, you, you do have to do a good job, and ultimately you'll be rewarded as a program if you're able to build the type of culture where you can keep guys in. But but guys leave everywhere, and especially now with the one-time transfer exception being passed, you're going to have more guys leaving at a lot of places at most places. It's just more, it's natural to have that movement. And so, you know, giving them a guard away with some guardrails to be able to replenish roster members, you know, it is probably something that needed to happen. So as it continues to build out, we'll keep everyone apprised. I imagine that early next month we'll get more detail as far as what exactly are kind of the prescriptions of, of this different, of these uh, different rules. Well, Wes, I was going to say, Go Chris, Ross Dellinger will probably break the news on Twitter about what, what it looks he, like, he almost, right? <laughs> he almost definitely will. He, he's been all over that story for sure and does a great job. So, that you know what? He'll be a good GC Live guest, Wes, Ross he Dellinger. Would. He would. We should have him. So, you, you were at media availability, right? Uh, Marcus Satterfield, Clayton White talking. We, we were getting a little bit before you came on into Marcus Satterfield and what he talked about. Did you have, I don't know, one or two – kind of main takeaways as he looked, you know, it, it, he was really relevant, I thought, because there's been a lot of talk about the offense, you know, communication, things like that. And so it's easy to kind of look back at what went wrong against Georgia and even ECU, EIU, and kind of apply it to, hey, can they get these things fixed before the Kentucky game? What were your what were your takeaways from today? Yeah, I, I have a big picture takeaway first and foremost that actually sort of applies to the whole staff, man. Um I I actually very much appreciate that um, the staff is willing to admit uh, when they feel like they've made a mistake. Um, you know, some people may uh, some people may interpret that as weakness. I interpret it as um, a strength as far as having self confidence. That it, it is self confidence to admit. Hey, I'm a human. I I didn't do this as well as I meant to. So I I think um, both with Shane Beamer and we we really didn't even get into it, but the decisions at the end of the half, uh, you know, of the Georgia game, when he said, uh, you know, basically I I gave South I gave Georgia five points, um, especially for a first year head coach, just to be like, uh, you know, that this is my bad, y'all. I very much um, appreciate that. And I, I thought Sat, like you were talking about with Juju, uh, you know, I can't remember exactly how he said it, but basically, um, you know, I'm thinking about it laying in bed at night, you know, was sort of what he was trying to say, that I did not get Juju McDowell more involved. Um, you know, to, to me, uh, some some coaches just have a fear of, of admitting any type of liability when something goes wrong. And um, I, for one, appreciated that. I, you know, the, the Beamer decision there at the end, I kind of, and I'm something is it probably doesn't make you a very good, like radio or podcast host or whatever, Chris, but I, I feel like I see all sides of, of situations, which can be good sometimes, but it doesn't lead to like definitive, um, this is the way it should be. Takes. Yeah, takes. Um, yeah. with, with the way it worked out, obviously you can understand why Beamer, um, says that. And, Look, even as it happened, I was like, I don't, I don't know about this decision here, guys. Um, so I, I think Beamer is probably right to say, I, I want that one back. I, I did like that. If you're, if you're going to mess up, mess up being aggressive. And people may say, well, why are they throwing that deep ball there? Well, you know, I'll even look back to Lou Holtz. As conservative as Lou Holtz was, as a quarter, as a uh, 
just a play caller or coach in general, decision maker. I mean, how y'all remember everybody complaining about decisions <laughs> offensively. Lou Holtz actually loved the out of the end zone deep ball. And and you saw South Carolina hit several big plays out of the end zone because most of the time it's you and you max protect, which South Carolina did, and you just get the ball off. You just throw it up and you look at it as a punt if it's intercepted. And if you're South Carolina, you're trying to you're trying to catch Georgia off guard, basically. Mm-hmm. They're thinking you're just gonna run a quarterback sneak, get out of there, go to the half. You're trying to catch them off guard and catch a big play. Um, was it probably, you know, was it probably a little bit ill-advised? Yes. But I see the thinking there because if you catch them off guard and that thing hits the Josh fan again, then everybody's like, holy, like that, that was an incredible play. That was an incredible call. It was an aggressive call. Now, I also do not agree with the necessarily with the people who definitively are like, well, everybody complained about Muschamp being conservative, and now everybody's complaining about Beamer being aggressive. To me, every game, every situation has some nuance to it. So you can be aggressive 90% of the time while also having the restraint to be like, as much as I want to be aggressive here, we get the ball first coming out of the half. Let's just get to halftime, you know. So, but I, I really just appreciated both Satterfield and Beamer um, being like, "Hey, I made a mistake on this, or I want this one back." You know, it, it's because it, you could easily be like, sort of fight that. We see coaches fight that all the time. And by the way, somebody asked, "What you know?" Did Satterfield say what he was thinking on that particular play? Well, Beamer also said, "Look, that was my call. It was my call to take a shot." It's obviously the coach's call to take the timeout before, but taking complete ownership, um, even with the penalty, saying, hey, it starts at the top. I've got to coach it better. Uh, I just – I think it's very refreshing. Um, I, I'm I'm a fan of, of that. So that, that was my biggest takeaway. Also, to you know, I, I think today Satterfield, to me, what we saw on the field, then Satterfield's answers – Communication was like the buzzword of the day. It got mentioned a hundred times, I think. Um, and it kind of got to the point, there's only so many different ways you can ask this or it can you know, be talked about. But to me, Chris, they still look like an offensive group that is three games in to a new system, a new coaching staff. And I, I think these next few games, though, are going to tell us quite a bit because you're going to want to start to see – that progress being made to where the guys look a little more comfortable, the runs are hitting a little bit better, and um, and and sort of uh, seeing progress on that side of the ball. Yeah, and you know, the, there's been some progress in areas. No, I'll, so I'll lay this one out: the the plays that Josh Van and Jalen Brooks, for example, made against Georgia. I didn't. I don't know if I could have anticipated those before the before the game, before the season, right? Georgia's secondary is the quote unquote weak link of that defense. Still, very very talented, you know, defensive backfield. Multiple future NFL players in that defensive backfield, right? Um, but that's why we talked about, hey, if South Carolina is going to move the football, if they're going to score some points, probably need to do it through explosive plays. That's what ended up playing out in the game. You know that. They had a couple explosives that one was a touchdown, one led to a field goal. Another field goal came off of an interception that put them in, in positive territory. So I think that's an area that has improved. Now, what has not been, I'll also say Luke Doty, I mean, very, very small sample size, right? Less than four quarters. But he did some things in that game that looked very positive, that looked like, Maybe, maybe he's ready to step forward as a player. Now, we'll see throughout the rest of the year. The thing that has not looked like uh, it needs to or even like it was anticipated is the running game, and that starts with the front, the communication, the backs, all those different things. We haven't seen as many explosive runs. We've seen too many negative plays. We've seen too many uh, miscommunications, misassignments, whatever it may be. And so that's the thing that, especially playing at home, when you've had a week to get some of that exposed and this is your week where you need to tune it up. 
And I don't mean that, well, they'll be able to tune it up against Kentucky. That's not what I'm saying. But they'll have the opportunity to hone in on those things in practice. And that's what Satterfield mentioned today. You know, he, he even said another thing they admitted. We, we let some of the communication things go in practice. They're focusing even more on that. And so it will be telling against Kentucky, against Troy. Is there an improvement in those things to where, based on the eye test and based on production, this front is playing more efficiently, the running game is better? And if you can couple that, Wes, with the fact that, hey, maybe you can then get the tight ends going a little bit. Uh, maybe you can have Van and Brooks continue to come along. That could be a significant development for your offense. Yeah, no doubt. I think in terms of uh, signs of player development, which is what you're speaking of, there, there are some really good signs. You know, like there are very um, strong signs that these guys are coming on. Not, you know, not just Van, but Jalen Brooks. Um, you know, there was mentioned that that the Vans and Brooks and Joiners of the world are doing everything they can to try and drag along the younger guys, the Rico Powers of the world, and try to bring them along too. Um, Rico, a guy who started, you know, with Xavier Leggett out, he started to see his playing time increase a, a little bit as well. So I, uh, you know, I, I don't think all hope is lost with this offense, but I, I do think it's one of those things. You are seeing players come forward. Now it's going to be about what we've been talking about really post-game for three games now, offensive line play, both in pass pro and run blocking. Can you – I look at it like this, Chris. Can you find that balance of doing enough different things that you're not just running the same plays uh, as far as running game goes every play, but also honing in on some things that you do very well and that you can count on, you know, I think it it is kind of one of those things. You want to be diverse in the running game, but not too diverse. You know, like you you want to have things that you sort of just hang your hat on. And some, you know, it's one of those things. If a team runs the ball straight up the middle and has no success, then very quickly, fans, media, um, anybody watching, it's going to be like, "Well, they're running the same play right up the middle every time." Well. If your offensive line is opening up holes and being powerful and you're getting five, six yards every time you run it up the middle, nobody complains that you're just running the same play up the middle. So, uh, you know, I, I think looking at Kentucky, watching them some uh, last night and this morning, they, they've they done a pretty good job, I think, of, of mixing, you know, mixing it up. But they, they run quite a bit of inside zone themselves. It, you know, I, I think uh, that, that's sort of – there's that little balance you, you have to try to find that I think South Carolina is still working on finding. And I, I was actually kind of uh, – it was interesting to hear Satterfield echo some of what we had said about the running backs. Like, yes, you have these four great running backs. You want to get them all involved. But at some point you do have to sort of say – and I, I think, again, they tried to do that with Harris at Georgia. This is not some – great uh you know revelation or something that I think their mind was already on that but at some point you're gonna have to get one of these backs really going in a game and into a rhythm and and find out early on which guy's gonna be today uh, I think uh, for South Carolina but you know that's gonna be key this week that'll be key moving forward this season I think yeah and the fact that South Carolina has not gotten the running game is the reason that this this offense as a whole has not been able to get on track. I mean, let's let's be fair, right? This offense has not really been average yet, right? Like coming into the year, the goal was for this offense to be serviceable, to be able to score points. I don't think anybody had unrealistic expectations. This this got this needs to be and should be a group that's going to go light up the scoreboard. Not a realistic expectation for this year. If you had that, we would encourage you before the season over and over to kind of adjust those expectations, right? But what this group needed to be was one that could sustain some drives, go score some points. But largely, you used the phrase, Wes, hanging your hat on it, talking about the run game. Well, the offense in, in general came into this year hanging its hat on the fact that South Carolina would be able to run the ball. They haven't been able to do that. And so what's been the the side effect to that 
well, teams have been able to load the box, devote a lot of bodies up front, run blitz, all those different things. And South Carolina at times has shot itself in the foot, penalties, holding, communication issues, assignment issues, whatever it may be. And that's hurt the run game. But I think if there's a silver lining in it, some of those things are correctable. Okay. Whether or not they can correct it, you know, that's obviously on the staff to be able to do and the players to execute it, but ultimately on the staff to, to teach it. And, you know, it, it's, it's a positive that there have been some signs of life in the passing game. And so if you can keep that going and if you can get some more things in run game, that's going to allow this team to be a little bit more balanced. So are there still going to be concerns and issues that are going to manifest themselves throughout the year and maybe get exposed? I believe so. I don't think that changes the outlook. But this offense, I think, does still have more upside, you know, than what we've seen in the early part of the year. Yeah, but we'll, we'll see if they can hone in on some of that stuff, get it fixed, and, and start to move forward against what, you know, let's be honest, is a little bit more manageable opponent this week from a talent standpoint than what South Carolina faced last week in Georgia. And, you know, I do think, uh, not not to give excuses, every. Everybody has to go on the road in the SEC. You know, you got to go four times. That's how it works. But if you are not quite comfortable yet, Chris, and you're still feeling your way out, well, playing at home versus playing on the road where you can't hear yourself think and you're trying to work through some issues, you know, may, maybe you ask the guy to your left or right for, for a quick, hey, man, are we, you know, what are we doing here? A quick refresher. You don't really have that option when you're on the road. You know, I, I thought it was interesting. Zeb talked today. They were on a, uh, you know, uh, a snap count where he was clapping. And they go out there for the first drive. He claps to, to get the snap. And nobody even moved. Uh, it was like they, they couldn't hear it. So, I, you know, I, I think that's, uh, that, that's something there where play, playing at home does – Playing at home does help offensive line play and pass pro in particular, I think, because defensive guys can actually time your snap pretty well, um, you know, when, when they're on the road, I feel like, when you're on a silent count. Yeah, for sure. A little bit off track here, Wes, but I saw a question that I wanted to hit from Joey Guyton um, from YouTube. What's up, Joey? So maybe I missed it. Any word on who the recruits are that will be attending the game this week? So we do have on GamecockCentral.com, shameless plug. As you said yesterday, Wes, we do have a website. It exists. It's GamecockCentral.com. Check it out on your phone, tablet, computer, any kind of device that can access the internet. GamecockCentral.com, front page, massive recruiting weekend, multiple official visitors coming in. We've been adding, Wes, really all day today, uh, even more names. So we mentioned a few of them yesterday. Um, Highlights, of course, Antonio Williams, the Dutch Fork four-star receiver expected to be in town. Jay Sean Barham, uh, the four-star rush end from uh, up there in Maryland. He'll be in town. And Jamari Lyons, who's a talented defensive tackle the Gamecocks are battling, primarily the Florida Gators on, he will be in town. And so Wes has just dropped the link there on Facebook, YouTube, and Periscope with our visitors list. It is a subscriber's link. But – Come join us, uh, join.gamecockcentral.com and West GC Pod. Still good for the promo code. 30 days free. Get you access to all our content. We don't d- just do this show, believe it or not. We have a website with tons and tons of content all football season. So come check it out. Get access to all of it right there. Yeah. And um, that, uh, as Chris said, that's a subscriber link, but it's, uh, we, I mean, we've been steadily gathering. On this thing, man, um, this I dare say is going to be one of their biggest recruiting nights as far as just talent level that's on campus in in a long time, and I, and that's why not not that you ever put too much on one game, and not that these these recruits ultimately one game doesn't decide for a recruit as far as if you lose a game, do they do they not pick you because you lost a game? No, but a win with those guys on your campus and a chance to put yourself in a position where South Carolina starts to be 
you know, South Carolina's Troy next week. If if you if you win this week and take care of business against Troy, people start to talk about the fact that you're four and one. And people start to talk about positive momentum within your program. To me, Chris, recruits look at momentum and the sort of the perception of a program as opposed to if you win or lose one game. But in this case, winning this game is what is going to help start to produce that momentum and that perception. So you've got, you got these guys on, on your campus. You've got an opportunity. The, the stadium is going to be absolutely just rocking on Saturday. I, I firmly believe this will be one of the best atmospheres we've seen at South Carolina in a while. And, you know, I, I think you look and if you're the fan base and you want to know how you can help the program get, get moving forward, you need this to be one of those atmospheres where these kids leave talking about that's one of the best atmospheres I've, you know, I've ever seen. Take, take for example, um, J- Jaden Bradford, 2024 local kid, uh, grew up following the Gamecocks, big time quarterback. We've been, you know, I've been driving the Jaden Bradford bus, uh, you know, ever since I saw him at Perry Orr's camp and he's going to be on your campus on Saturday. And he he he's going to give South Carolina every chance in the world, right? But guess what? Last week he was at Penn State for that whiteout. So you you got to look at it. Prospects are going to look through their options, right? They're going to see. They're going to compare. So you know, I, I think you look if you're if you're a South Carolina fan, this is an opportunity for you. Everybody is still pumped up. It's still early in the Beamer era, and I, I think it's it's just an opportunity for for this fan base to to sort of directly affect the future of South Carolina recruiting. And when you have a new staff, you you get some of these opportunities to do that. Yeah, and, and like you said, good point on it's not always about win or loss because prospects sometimes, I mean, they, they look at it differently than fans, right? Like after a loss, Gamecock fans are they're really cheesed off, right? And talking on our forums and all sorts of things, talking on this show, we break it down. Fans are sometimes looking at different things. So they're considering environment. They're considering, you know, sometimes if, for instance, if a position group struggles, well, if they like everything else, the staff, the atmosphere, the academics, the conference, they may look at that and say, I can go in there and play, you know, and make a difference. So there are a lot of different factors to it, but no doubt being able to get these guys on campus for this type of game and this atmosphere and a a big SEC game, a night atmosphere, loaded group of recruits, it's big. And keep in mind, Wes, coming off a year in 2020 in which, you know, prospects, unless they just literally bought their own ticket and sat in the stands, we saw some of that across the country, they weren't able to visit. So some of these young guys, this will be the first time they've been to South Carolina for a game. Some of them. Some of them will be the first time in a while that they've been to South Carolina. Um, there, there's even some seniors that, you know, Jamari Lyons, has he been to a Gamecock game? I don't think so. I double check that. But be his first atmosphere. He's been on campus, but this will be his first look at a game. And so that can definitely, you know, be impactful. I, I can certainly be impactful. And yeah, man, we um we're not gonna get into the whole list here. We'll we'll leave that, save that for our subscribers. But best believe this is it's an important weekend. And man, I mean, even dude, just just look at the quarterbacks. I mean, you got Dylan Lonergan, who is South Carolina's uh you know, I I, I kind of steer away from saying, like, this guy's the top target at this position. But, I mean, let's be honest. Look at the guy. Top 10 national quarterback. South Carolina's been all over him. Um, he's been showing strong interest in South Carolina. South Carolina went and watched him play on Friday before the Georgia game. Like, this, this guy is, is up there with anybody else uh, that South Carolina is chasing at any position in 2013. You have him in. As I mentioned, you have Jaden Bradford in for 2024. You have Jaden Davis in for 2024 as well, the uh, Catawba Ridge quarterback. So, I mean, he, to me, that position is always going to be as important as any uh, for your program. So ju- just at the quarterback position, you have guys that are very, very important to the future of South Carolina's program that, that are going to be on your campus. And it doesn't really stop there, though, either. You start to look at this 2023 class, which I think is where South Carolina um, 
I think made a lot of progress this summer as far as getting young guys on campus. Um, you know, Xavier McLeod's going to be in town, big time kid from right down the road in Camden. Your your big time offensive lineman from from twenty three and twenty four. You know, sneak preview. Several of those guys that we've been talking about for a long time are on that list. So I uh, I don't know, man. It's not. This is not one of those just sort of propaganda where the coaches are like, oh, yeah, we got some good recruits on campus. This this is a very impressive group, which makes it all the more important for it to go well. It, it, it is. It, it is a group that is very, very legitimate. And um, let, let me tell you what else is legitimate, Wes. Segway. Maybe not my best ever, but a pretty good one. Legit socks, right, from Dead Soxy. If you want in on them, if you're a sock guy, if you're not a sock guy, everybody needs socks, right? So go to deadsoxy.com, D-E-A-D-S-O-X-Y.com. And while you're there shopping around for men's, women's, whether you want athletic socks, no-show socks, dress socks, the Gamecock kind of themed flavored spur line that you see if you're on YouTube up in the top left corner, go there to Dead Soxy and you can get 25% off your entire order whether you order one pair, 100 pairs, however many, promo code COCKY, that'll get you 25% off your entire order. But, yeah, I mean, it is it is a very uh, – it's an impressive group. I think, Wes, you know, one thing we've talked about a lot is in the 2022 class, um, there are some targets remaining. The bulk of South Carolina's class is in place, right, um, we think based on current numbers overall and positionally. But there are some guys out there that could take this class from what it is and kind of give it an additional step up. For instance, at receiver, we know that's still a priority position for South Carolina, and one of the biggest priorities in Antonio Williams is on campus. We know that the staff really wants to close things out, would love to add Jamari Lyons to this defensive tackle group, right? So on top of that, you've got all these underclassmen that, again, some of them may be coming to Carolina for the first time for a game atmosphere. Some of them have been around before. But it's great to have them back around some other big-time recruits, feeling the love, feeling the atmosphere. A win would definitely be a cherry on top for the Gamecocks, and particularly if some certain position groups that these guys are watching, they happen to play well or like what they see from a scheme standpoint. So another another big opportunity, you know, this weekend in turn, on the recruiting trail. Yeah, Craig, Craig says eating grapes with me. I am a grape fiend, y'all. I don't know. I, I've been trying to eat – more like fruits and veggies and grapes are the go-to right you, now. You've been eating for probably, let's say you, you weren't that late. You've been eating for probably 30 minutes on the show. It's pretty I impressive. Have. I have. Well, yeah. it's because I'm, I can't just eat. I'm like back. And I think eventually, eventually on the show, like in a few years, or, or maybe it'll take more than a few years. Maybe you're like 68 still doing the show, Wes. And eventually you're just going to be eating while you talk. Like you're just gonna let yourself yeah. and just when, when you just get to that don't give a you know what stage. Um I mean I've always thought this should just be lunch with uh with Chris and Wes and we just do a pre show deal where we tell everybody, like show everybody what we're eating. Maybe we do it from from a local restaurant and they give us free food and they get you know, y'all come out and hang out. I mean, it's that's a great idea. We, you know, and, and I think next time we go to Primal, we will Primal Gourmet in West Columbia. We will I think we need to eat something on air that time. It was just it was a little late. I was I would have been hangry if I would have waited that long to eat. By the way, Primal Gourmet, Wes, let me let me drop this real quick. PrimalGourmetSC.com, another deal that we put together for you here on the show. Go use their promo code, it's GCOC20, and go check out their meal plans. If if you like healthier food. You like to meal prep, but you don't really know how. You don't have time, whatever. GCOC 20, that'll get you a discount off of your first order. And uh, we, we had a blast last time we were out there with Greg, Valerie, saw Preston Thorne. I'm, I'm down for it, man. I, we, we need you, got to a, you got any other links you want to give people? Um, we, we do. We're working on – we want to have some – we want to give you something discounted and everything. By the way, I don't know if I – I don't know if you all know this. If you go to Gamecock Traditions – either online or in store. If you put in the code Gamecock Central with a space, or if you just mention us in the store, you get 10% off there too. 
So I, I personally think if you go to any restaurant in Columbia and you just mentioned Gamecock Central, that you should get 10% off. But we have not been able to work that in yet. That would take a big yeah. – like a big licensing agreement where just the entire area, the, world. the entire Midlands. Um, I, like I don't it. see that happening. Okay, so our next promo. No, I'm just kidding. We don't have any more. I don't think. No, but, we're we're going we're going to leave it be for now. But, <laughs> um, dude, I'm so I'm watching Kentucky, right? Yep. Um, and we'll have uh, we'll have Justin on tomorrow from uh, Cats Illustrated. They do a great job over there, by the way. They were singing your praises, Chris. They were uh, really Justin was hyping you up the job that you you did, oh, um, telling them about the Gamecocks. Um, but so. This this Will Levis guy, dude, dude, he, he he's scary for South Carolina. I don't think people realize yet. Let let me just let me just throw the cliche just because the, the first the first thing that pops in my head, the very first throw this guy makes, I'm like, dang, this guy can spin it. You know, like that that's the that is a quarterback cliche, like arm talent, you know, all that all that crap, but. When you when you all see this guy, the first the first thing like the dude can spin it like the the ball comes out of my man's hand and you know Chris I, I I've looked at Kentucky's offense as like for the last it, it all runs together all, all a lot of these Kentucky teams are are very similar in their overall structure and Stoops is going to have great defenses. Now they're they're gonna a lot of times they play a, I feel like they play a little bit more zone than a lot of teams like they're they're not a, a they're not a Georgia you know man press type team they're gonna play some zone they're gonna they're gonna be a three man front but they're gonna they're gonna be a three man front from a personnel standpoint but they're gonna line up with four down linemen a, a lot or four rushers they're gonna pick their opportunities to blitz you but they're gonna be they're gonna be very good and physical defensively. And then their offense, their job is going to be just don't screw it up. They're going to have good running backs. Their running backs aren't always going to be four- and five-star guys, but they're going to find – they always find good running backs, whether they're highly recruited or not. They they land good running backs, and they get them the football. They are dedicated to the running game. Well, this Kentucky offense is a little bit different because, yes, they have – they still run the football. They still have balance, but they have added the downfield threat as well. And what they, the reason they have that now is they have a quarterback who can deliver the football, not just from an arm strength standpoint, but from an accuracy standpoint. And the addition of Wondell Robinson, um, wide receiver, I think we talked about him a little bit, but I, I was talking to somebody who's familiar with, Kentucky earlier this week, Chris. And so Will Re- or Will Levis, uh Wandell Robinson, and the, the linebacker that transferred from Ole Miss. Those three transfers basically have kind of changed what this team is, or you know, would have been without them. Like th- those three, they're three impact guys for them. So Yep. If you look, man, that those are the guys. If you're a South Carolina fan, those are the guys to know going into this. And he he can deliver the football. He can throw it over the top. He's good underneath, and he actually can run the ball a little bit. Like he's, I don't think he's quite Luke Doty as far as speed goes, but he he will run the football and he will run it successfully. And your linebackers and safeties have to be ready to be physical, man, because this guy thinks he's Tim Tebow when he gets in the open field, like he puts his head down and, and, and dares you to knock him backwards. So there's some swagger there. There uh, is some leadership. There's some, I'm going to get my guys fired up. He's going to, he's dives forward instead of sliding. Like they're there. Th- this guy changes the game a little bit for them, Chris. He does. You don't go into it saying, okay, you got to win the game up front. You can control things. This guy can, like you said, he can run it make some off-platform type throws. Let's try to throw as many quarterback cliches as we possibly can into the show, Wes. I just did another one, off-platform throws. And, you know, he he can really stretch the field because of him, because of Wondale Robinson, who has long speed and can really get down the field. He can run. 
he can hurt you in the open field. It's a dangerous proposition for South Carolina. So one of the, I, I can go ahead and say, and we'll probably be fighting each other for this kind of key to the game on Friday, is they've got to find a way to affect Will Levis. They've got to be able to knock him out of the pocket, hit him, sacks, find a way to pressure him. Because if they're able to be balanced with the run game with Chris Rodriguez, who's a big physical back, and they've got a good offensive line, as we know, size, they've got it, they've got experience. If they're able to be balanced, it, it could be hard because this guy's a very talented quarterback and he can hurt you. And we saw last week, not not to say Kentucky's Georgia, but we saw a talented quarterback, talented backs. We saw them get into some third and five, third and six situations, and they're able to take advantage of that. And so South Carolina is going to have to have an answer. And I think one of the you know best ways to do that, easier said than done, but somehow they're going to have to scheme up a way and, and have the defensive line play well enough to where they can get to him and affect him. Yeah, and he, he has kind of a – it's almost like a three-quarter release looking at him, but he, he's he's tall enough that it doesn't really – I don't think he gets a lot of passes batted from, from what I've seen, but it's a pretty quick release. The ball gets there in a hurry, you know, whether you're talking about underneath or, you know, throwing the deep ball. He's got touch there. And the thing I like about their scheme and what they're doing with Wondell Robinson, man, is they get him the football in a variety of ways. They uh, And, and I, I think – there's even something to be said for a quarterback's ball handling skills. I know we talk about you know that in basketball, but his ability on that little jet sweep. That, so it's it's kind of an interesting offense. In some ways, it is uh, philosophically uh, similar to what South Carolina is trying to do. It is a an NFL style, but it's more of a new age NFL style. They're going to do a lot of different things in the running game. There's going to be more under center than what you see from a lot of teams, but then they're going to go play action off of that. You're going to get inside zone. You get pin and pull. You're going to get the uh, the power toss. You're you're getting a little bit of everything in the running game, and uh, but they're going to use this Wondell Robinson. They use him on that like jet sweep from under center that you actually saw the Rams do a ton of. Um, so, uh, Leon Cohen is a former Rams assistant, uh, under Sean McVay. So they'll use him on that little jet sweep handoff where the, the action, the footwork is like, it's going to be a handoff to the running back. And then they, uh, they just quickly hand it off to him to try to get the edges. Well, they'll use him in more traditional, like, uh, wide receiver reverses. And then the thing about him, Chris, they put him in the slot which generally the slot is more of an underneath, uh, you know, quick outs, uh, flats, curls, drags, stuff like that. Well, they will press you vertically from the slot as well. The slot fade, um, actually one of my favorite routes, if you have a guy that can run it, um, they, they burned Missouri on, on the slot fade. So they, they will move, um, they'll move uh, Robinson around quite a bit to get him the ball in different ways. If you want a key to victory for me, an early key to victory, and this one's more like down in the weeds, but I would say David Spalding and um, South Carolina's Nichols. So whether he's in or Collins Platel is in the game, they're Nichols against um, Wondell Robinson. He's not always a slot guy. They you know they move him around, but they're they're going to be matched up with him quite a bit, I, I think. So matching up with him, keeping an eye on him, keep keep the five yard out to five or six yards as opposed to a broken tackle and a big play. Um, because, the, yeah, you know, man, because I, I look, it's kind of hard to get a handle on this Kentucky offense because the, Kentucky, they they looked great in the first half against Missouri. Mm-hmm. Like you're sitting there saying they're a problem. And they they ran the ball on one of those drives. They ran the ball like 13 straight times. And we're having success. And they fum- they fumbled on the one yard line going in. So they they could have scored even more against Missouri. So th- you know, this is a Kentucky offense that can get going, but also has bogged down at times as well. And not once again, an offense trying probably like South Carolina, these guys are still not quite consistently comfortable in, in everything. So I- I'm I'll be curious to see how does Kentucky respond? What does South Carolina come up with from a Clayton White defensive standpoint? And um, 
can they limit Wandale Robinson, which is one of those things that people like us are like, oh, yeah, you got to limit Wandale Robinson. But how, how do you actually do it? You know, like it's easy yeah. to be like, oh, this is a key to victory. Uh, run the football. OK, how how do you do it? I think slowing down that kid is the difference in their offense being explosive and putting up 30 points versus this being like a, you know, Kentucky scores 20, you know, 24 points, something like that. Yeah, you're right. And, and so those are the guys that obviously you have to affect the most. There's there's some teams that you look around at, West and there's just go, geez, there's so many guys that can hurt you here. And you, you, it's almost kind of pick your poison. It's not to discount anybody else that Kentucky has. And and this is a question I want to ask Justin Rowan is who else on this Kentucky team can really hurt you offensively? But those are those are the three natural ones to go to, right? Kind of just putting aside the offensive line because they're not carrying the football, catching the football. It's going to be the quarterback, and then it's going to be Robinson, and it's going to be Chris Rodriguez at running back. So you can find ways to stymie those guys. Again, we don't we don't know what that is, you know. Uh, it's easy for us to say it, like you said, Wes, but um, they've got to find a way, you know, to do that. It's going to be critical. I think what we've seen from this Kentucky offense is they have been inconsistent, right? Uh, against Chattanooga, they would look good at times. They would bog down others. Mark Stoops was kind of frustrated uh, from what he said this week, kind of looking back at that game because, you know, defensively they would get some stops finally, but then offensively they'd sputter out or vice versa. And so, it does seem like they've had some times where they haven't quite put it together, but when they click, they're dangerous. And so that's South Carolina's, you know, top priority. Find a way to be disruptive. I tend to think that's going to start up front. Don't let them be balanced and find a way to pressure Will Levis to where, you know, he's not comfortable. If he becomes comfortable running the ball, throwing it downfield, he can really hurt you. Yeah, Johnny says we're hyping up teams typing up every team. Um, Johnny, we're telling people what to expect from Kentucky, basically. So no, nobody's overhyping anybody. And uh, it said hyping up a Kentucky team that struggled mightily against EIU-type team is laughable. Um, Chattanooga would beat the brakes off of EIU, first of all. And um, so, I, I no, we're, we're telling you what to expect from Kentucky. And this is going to be a closed ball game, so – I, I don't think anybody's hyping them. They're 3-0. and They've won the games they've had to play. And there's a lot to be impressed with their offense so far. So Yeah, and, um, and I was going to say, you know, the funny – like South Carolina, I mean, we didn't hype up ECU, but we said it was a scary game for South Carolina and kind of laid it out, laid out why. South Carolina had to go and, and kick a field goal as time expired to beat them. So to use kind of the – like Marcus Satterfield said this a lot. They they haven't earned the right to get. They haven't earned the right for us to be sitting here and saying, uh, "Kentucky's no problem. They should dispatch them easily." Like what? What has anybody seen from this team that would make them think that? To yeah, make no, nothing. Absolutely nothing. I mean, they they even had some. We said this after the EIU game. EIU loved Coach Cushing, appreciated his time. They are not a good football team, right? That that's just realistic. They're not a good football team. And I believe we said that quite, <laughs> quite a few times. That. They're not good. It was a complete mismatch. We also said after the game that there were some things in that game that were concerning and some things they got away with because it was EIU that the next week, and certainly against Georgia, were going to cause some issues. And it, it, it kind of played out that way. We saw some exposure against ECU with some of the struggles. We definitely saw it against Georgia. There's absolutely – no sign that this team has not done anything to where you could say, oh, yeah, Kentucky's no problem. And as for Vandy, Johnny, I mean, Wes and I, we're sitting here joking. I feel bad. We 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 talk. Let, let's go ahead and get in our, our daily Vandy shot. They're bad. They, hey, by, by the way, I don't, I don't know if y'all follow. Um, let, let's pick somebody else to pick on. Uh, okay. Let's pick on UConn. Um, oh, that's a good one, yep. yep. Do, 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 y'all, do y'all follow Bill Connolly from ESPN on Twitter? Um, he, Chris, oh, yeah. he, he's very analytics driven, like his, what is it? The SP plus I'm, I, and I, I'm not, I'm not a huge analytics. Like I'm not a, I'm not one of these people that's like analytics are the end all be all like some people are. And I, you know, I love baseball. A lot of baseball people are very, very stats, you know, analytics, sabermetrics, uh, driven. 
I, I think they have a place, but I think the eye test has a place as well. Um, but SP plus, Chris, if I'm correct, basically is a way it's, it's almost, it creates almost like power rankings of the, the best teams and the worst teams. And then it, it tries to be predictive on if these two teams play, what would the average score be basically if they played a million times or however it works again, not a math guy, but dude, he he apparently has a way of the of seeing where a team's SP rating would that be the correct term I guess would fall historically like in the history of college football and I'm trying to find the tweet and I am not seeing it right now this man tweets a pretty good bit but oh here it is here it is here it is um it's by percentile is the, the correct way to, to phrase it. So the 2021 UConn football team right now, this is our hater of the day, um, is basically the worst team in the history of college football. What? I love how just like gradual that was. Well, I was I was reading. I'm not y'all know by now. I'm not a great multitasker. I was about to say their top five worst because this is the top five worst, worst SP plus. ever. They are the number number fourteen thousand three hundred and eighty second ranked team of all the teams that have ever teamed. Basically, like they 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 are in the they are in the bottom point. Oh four percent percentile. Does that make any sense? I don't know. They, they're they're bad. They're they're right there with the nineteen twenty five and nineteen twenty six Erskine football teams. Erskine, wow, yeah. that that is impressive. What a pull. So, dude, did you know? I think you knew this because we were talking about UConn before that. We we're talking about Vandy. We picked on both of those now. Did you know that next week those teams play? Ah. October 2nd, set your watch. UConn traveling to Vanderbilt, 7.30 p.m., ESPNU, must-watch TV. It'll be awesome. So, And Vanderbilt, of course, Wes, sandwiched in between that. They play Georgia this weekend. They play Georgia. At home, and then they go versus UConn, and then they go at Florida, and then they're actually heading to Columbia on the 16th. So, tough slate for Vandy coming up. Toilet bowl against UConn on October 2nd. That's going to be awesome. Yeah, that Daddy O, I guess his name is, uh, asked me to retweet that. I, uh, I did battle for, I, I did, uh, retweet that. Travis says battle for the first overall pick. <laughs> yes. If only it worked that way in uh, in college football, um, man, that that that's bad. That's that bad. is bad, dude. I, I didn't re- like. I knew they were horrific, right? But I didn't know it was that bad. It's so bad for Vandy, right? Or for, for UConn right now. Your FPI, Wes. Take a guess of the FPI for, for UConn against Vandy right now. Take take your best stab. I'm gonna say still, it's like 85 Vandy. Is ninety point three percent Vandy. That's how bad it's gotten for the Huskies. They are who forty nine to nothing against Purdue, fifty two twenty one at Army. That's their last results. They are of course zero and four, and they're working on an interim coach right now. So, so Vanderbilt will probably beat those boys pretty good. But everybody say a prayer for Vandy this weekend. They've got Georgia on Saturday. That's in Nashville. Uh, yeah. that is, it I think matter. it is in Nashville. Yeah, <laughs> right. it doesn't matter. That's worth, that's worth 0.1% on the FPI. Um, that yeah. if it's, if it's in Nashville and not much more than that. Uh, yeah. Vandy is the only home field advantage where they give points to the away team in, <laughs> in Vegas. Like, you know, the average is like, they give you three, they give you three points at home is the only place where they give you less. J-Rock says game day should go there. That would be phenomenal. They just go there and make fun of it the whole time. 
That would be so funny. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, we're bad. Yeah. All right. It's time for us to go. Yeah. All good. right. Appreciate it. We'll have uh, Justin rolling tomorrow. We got a, a lockdown a, a time, but probably 2.15 or so for him. That'll be good. He'll give some insight, and uh, then we'll close it out on Friday. Maybe a little more recruiting talk then. He's Chris. I'm Wes. We appreciate you. Appreciate all the support. Appreciate uh, Clint Hammond of the Mortgage Network. And if you're watching on YouTube, hit the like button. Appreciate it. Y'all have a good one. Hello, it is Ryan. And I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on Chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me. And you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.